Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 through, through chapter 4, verse 6. We're going to be reading this in the ESV. Most of the pew Bibles should be ESVs. And if you're sitting in a chair, uh, your Bibles are under your seats. Um, but if you have your own Bible app or your own Bible, feel free to look it up there as well. And um, yeah, uh, I'm going to read the scripture. But what we'd like to do at LGM is uh, we'd like everyone to stand for the reading of God's word. So once you're ready, if you could please stand as able. And again, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 4, verse 6. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, today's message, we are continuing our sermon series, Happier, and today's message is called Out of the Courtroom. So we've been talking about ways that we desire to be happier in God, and really what we've been talking about is joy. And so as we are continuing in this series, I think it is appropriate for us to talk about what steals your joy. Have you ever heard that phrase? You know, Satan, I'm not going to let you steal my joy. People used to say that. And I came across this quote that um, often gets attributed, attributed to Theodore Roosevelt. But if you've learned anything about internet quotes, like 75% of them are made up. They just like, they, they pick like Theodore Roosevelt or Mark Twain or, you know, I think, uh, um, yeah, like, I don't know. They, they pick some famous person and just attribute it to them. Um, but uh, uh, I, I don't know who said this, but I wonder if you could ponder on this quote for a moment with me to see if you think this is true. Comparison is the thief of joy by the great philosopher unknown, unknown. Um, <laughs> I don't know who said this, but do you think this is true? I think that there is a lot of truth to this. So I, I just pulled this image from Wikipedia. I just looked up comparison, and there was a picture of two apples. And I was like, yeah, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to the grocery store, and you've seen there's just so many different apples out there. You know, they have like pink ladies and Macintosh and, you know, Red Delicious and Honeycrisp, the king or queen of all apples. I mean, that's my apple of choice. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get kind of snobby about my apples. You know, sometimes like for whatever reason, there's not like Honeycrisp there and they only have like Gala, Gala. I don't know how you pronounce that. You know, and I'm like, I don't want that. It's like not as, I mean, honey crisp. It just sounds so sweet and crispy, you know? It sounds so delicious. And, you know, we look at these things, and 
I wonder if the comparison actually keeps you from having joy. Do you ever try to compare like restaurants and you're trying to figure out where to eat? And you don't want to just eat anything. But you have to have the best, the very best. And so you go through Yelp. You ever do that Yelp search? It's just like a black hole, right? You can be searching Yelp for two hours. You're so hungry. And before you know, you're like, let's just go to McDonald's, you know? Just forget it. You know, I'm just so hungry. You know, but we're like, well, this one has 3,000 ratings, and it's four and a half stars. But this one has 5,000 ratings. It's 4.75 stars, you know? And you can drive yourself crazy with this. And there is this conception in today's world, I think, oftentimes, that you can't just... You know, you can't just have good enough. You have to have the best, right? And, you know, I, I've talked to some people that I know who are, like, in the dating scene. And, you know, internet dating has kind of ruined human interaction when it comes to dating. You know, because there is this... <laughs> you know, just imagine the way that you met people back in the day, like, in biblical times, right? You're in a village, and there's, like... Five people your age, right? <laughs> There's not much choice, you know? And so maybe, like, you know, your parents are just like, hey, you and Susan are about the same age. We're going to, yeah, you know, you guys both are approximately, you know, you're, you're, yeah, you're healthy. Okay, you get married, you know? And that's it, right? But now with the internet, with internet dating, right, you can swipe endlessly, Right? You can customize the person that, that is like perfect to the heights. You know, oh, you have too many moles. You know, you're, you're, you're not the right, uh, uh, you don't have the right job or you don't make enough money or, you know, you're not the right uh, body shape or whatever, right? We customize and we have this conception that I must have the best. And so maybe there is a problem with that. Maybe this idea of the, the, the thief of joy is this idea that there's something about the judging and comparing where you cannot enjoy what is right in front of you. That's a lot of what Paul talks about. But what he talks about, it's going to come out in a slightly different way. And this passage I came across when I was reading a, a book that, um, honestly, out of the past 10 years, um, this is probably like in my top five and it's a, I'm going to tell you what the book is because it's really, really short. <laughs> but it's great, right? Like I said, like top five book. But it probably will take you about 30 minutes to read. It's like more of a booklet. It's like five bucks on Amazon, I think. Uh, so it's by Tim Keller. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And, and the subtitle there is the, the Path to True Christian Joy. And so in this book, which um, is, is the, the basis of this sermon, and I'm not going to do it justice. It's going to be my own spin on it. But I really, really highly encourage you to check out this book, especially if whatever you hear today you're intrigued by. Well, Tim Keller says it better than me. <laughs> but this idea that the freedom of self-forgetfulness, this is the path to true Christian joy. We're going to find that path in the scripture. And so this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And in it, what Paul is talking about is boasting. Like, okay, well, what are we talking about here? What's going down? Why is boasting seem to be a problem? You know, maybe some of you think, like, I'm not a very boastful person. But there's something a little bit more universal 
in our experience, the way we look at things and the way we interpret really what brings us joy or, you know, uh, when we're just kind of evaluating life, um, where boasting will come in. So let's take a look. It says, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. What is Paul talking about here? When he's saying, it's all yours. He's saying there are so many things that are available because God is the king of the universe, and he's giving you all of these things. They're all good. But what's happening in the scripture, um, the context is that the Corinthians, Christians, and, and it wasn't just them, but many Christians would kind of squabble. They would fight over who was the better apostle. You know, it's almost like talking about, like, my dad is better than your dad, or Iron Man is better than Captain America, or something like that, right? But it's like they were, um, you know, maybe converted or evangelized by a certain apostle. And they're like, oh, Paul, mm, that guy, he's like the most humble, you know, he's got the most Holy Spirit in him, and he's the best, and someone else is like, uh, 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 uh. no, no, Apollos, Apollos is the man, right? Apollos is so holy. And then someone else is like, "Mm -mm -mm." no, Cephas or Peter. Peter, you know, he was like the original disciple. He was like the right-hand man of Jesus, right? I was actually discipled by Peter. And Paul's like, what are you even doing here? Why are you boasting about this? What's going on, right? But friends, just think about that. This idea that, you know, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, they're all Wonderful, right? And Paul is like, you're not even, you know, like happy that, that you've been, a, a, you know, evangelized by these people or that, you know, you are in Christian community or that you know the Lord or you have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. You can't be happy about that because you're arguing and you're boasting and you're comparing, right? There's something that we're losing there. We're losing the joy. And so Paul goes on to say, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. And so Paul's like, I don't let it get to my head. The fact that you're comparing, you're saying one's better than the other he says, I don't even judge myself. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Um, then he goes on to say, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby, thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So Tim Keller points out that the word puffed up here, sometimes it gets translated as pride, right? That's what we're talking about here, boastfulness, pride. But this word is very particular to Paul. He uses it five times in this letter. And he seems to be the only one um, in, in the Bible out of the, the different writers um, who uses this word. It seems to be a unique theme for Paul. And the, the word in Greek is fushi o'o. 
<laughs> fushioro, and, and what, what it means is, uh, to, so literally, right, like you see here, it says puffed up. But what Paul says is that it evokes um, like, like an organ in your body that gets swollen. You know, it gets filled with air, distended. You know, I don't know if you've had or ever had the experience of like having like belly bloating. You know, for me, this used to happen to me a lot. I'm not really sure. I think it was something in my diet. I seem to have fixed it, but it, it, it's not so bad anymore. But like literally, it looked like I was like prego. I mean, I, it, it looked like I had a beach ball under my, my stomach. And there are some times where, you know, I, I just, I don't think Erin was thinking anything, but just my own insecurities. I, I just felt her looking at me like, it's not fat. I'm bloated. It's gas, okay? <laughs> Stop looking at my little beach ball, you know? But it's like, like, man, it was crazy. It would get, sometimes it would be like so full and it would be so painful. And there was one time I really thought about like going to the emergency room. I was like, what is going on? And I'm like, I just need to fart. I mean, it's like, it's this gas, it's painful, you know? But fr- friends, th- this is the, the image that is being conjured here. When it talks about, you know, no one should be puffed up in this way in favor of one against the other. What is he talking about here? What is getting puffed up? What Tim Keller says is that what what he's talking about is your ego. That's what's getting puffed up. And so he says several things about the ego. We're not going to go into detail, but if you read the book, he goes into detail of all these different aspects of, of, you know, the problems with the ego. Um, but yeah, can you imagine that, you know, this belly or something, it's getting puffed up, right? And, you know, some of the things with that is that uh, uh, you know that it's not really anything in there. It's empty. The ego isn't really real in the sense of like, you know, it's not really filled with anything. It's just hollow. And the thing with the ego is that it can never be satiated because it's empty. It just always needs more. Right? So have you ever met somebody who, like, you know, seems really full of themselves or insecure? Either insecure or oversecure. It's actually part of the same continuum. It is the ego. Right? And the ego just needing something to fill it up because it is empty. Right? And so if you've ever been in that position, you want someone to pay attention to you. You want someone to acknowledge you. Right? You want someone to apologize to you, or whatever the case may be. There's something you want, and this is the thing. Oftentimes, it's never enough. Maybe someone does praise you, and you're like, oh, well, they just weren't that sincere, you know? And it's empty, right? Like it's, it's this black hole that always needs to be filled. And it's very painful. Like I said, you know, with, with that organ, you know, with, with that, that belly that, that gets all distended and swollen, right? It hurts. And the, and the ego, it, it's, it's, it's very painful. It's calling attention to itself. And this is something that Tim Keller said that I thought was very profound. He said, we don't really think about our body. Think about it. Do you ever really think about your body unless, unless what? Unless something is wrong. Right? Like your toes. I, I, seriously, I never think about the, like, pinky toe or the toe next to the pinky toe. We don't even have words for those toes. We, like, we name the fingers, but the toes is big toe, pinky toe. That's it. One's in the middle. You never think about Unless what? Unless you stub it. Or you've been walking so long, and then it's like throbbing and in pain, right? Then you start paying attention to it, right? And if you think about all of the parts of your body, it's that way. 
and the ego. Man, we're thinking about ourselves a lot, aren't we? Right? It's always trying to bring attention to itself. And so what Tim Keller is saying is that that is a sign that there's something wrong with it. Right? We, we talk about like getting our feelings hurt. You know, someone slights you. Someone doesn't acknowledge you. Right? You don't feel appreciated. You know, and we say our feelings are hurt, but it's not true. Your feelings don't get hurt. It's your ego that gets hurt. Right? And so in those ways, there, there's something seriously wrong with it. And he talks about this idea that the, the, the ego is very busy. It's always calling attention to itself, and it's always doing something. You know what it's doing? It's always comparing. That's what the ego is doing. Right? And so what we usually talk about, the problem is pride. But pride isn't just this feeling of like, oh, I'm so great. It's always based on something, and it's always based on a comparison. So if you go back to, um, if you look at verse 6, it's, it doesn't just say, um, you know, that none of you may be puffed up, full stop. It says that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. This is the way pride always works. It's always a comparison game. Right? And so this is, uh, C.S. Lewis says as much in Mere Christianity. It's a very famous quote on pride. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If someone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. This is why in this country where you know, we're maybe the richest we've ever been in human history. We have more stuff, more technology, more luxury than we've ever had before, but people will never be satisfied. Why? Because it's always a comparison game. So you may have more than 99% of of the the, the world, but my neighbor down the street has a better car than me. Right? My classmate got a better job than me, is making more money than me. Right? It's always a comparison game. So no matter how much you have, it is not about that in and of itself. We can't enjoy it. It's always this feeling that we have to have more, right? And so there is this great problem. And a lot of it, it's like, you know, going back to this idea that comparison is the thief of joy. Do you ever, like, do something that's, like, supposed to be enjoyable you know, and, and, you know, maybe especially for, like, students, right? Did you ever, like, play a sport in high school? And maybe, like, at one time you liked that sport. You liked playing tennis, right? But maybe your parents said to you at some point, hey, I want you to play tennis. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'm playing tennis. I like tennis. They're like, yeah, it's good on your college resume. And you're like, oh, okay. And then maybe there's something else. Like, I don't know, like, you, you like taking pictures and then, you know, someone's like, hey, you want to take pictures for the school newspaper? You're like, yeah, sure, I like taking pictures. And they're like, yeah, but why don't you do it because it'll look good on your resume? You're like, oh, okay. And there's all these things we do, maybe even serving at church. You know, it's always this kind of resume building, right? And when that enters the picture, it changes the thing you're doing. No longer is it just something you're doing for fun, but you are building a case for yourself. You're trying to commend yourself. You're trying to look good because the feeling is 
at some point, someone is going to come along and they're going to evaluate you, right? You're going to come before a college board or graduate school or whatever, and they're going to compare you to all of these other people. They'll be like, hmm, you know, you've been, he's a great candidate, but, you know, Mary, Mary has been doing all of this volunteer work, and, right? And so that's the feeling we get, is that we're like, we need to make ourselves look better than other people, or we won't succeed. It has been instilled into you from a very young age. All of us feel it, right? So no longer are you out there just swinging a tennis racket to swing a tennis racket. You're doing something to commend yourself. You're building that resume all the time. And what's happened is all of us are in a courtroom. We are all being judged. And the judgment is about your worth, right? All the time in our society, right? In, in, in the competitive college application process. And then it never stops, friends. By the way, it never stops. Some of you, you guys are like, you know, you're in college and whatever, or you're in graduate school. Has it stopped for you? Has the evaluation stopped? Have you gotten to a place where you're like, Okay, now ego is filled and satisfied. I have passed the test. No more resumes, no more, no more judgments. I'm good enough. Does that happen? No. Now you got to get a job. They're still judging you. And you, you got to get married. They're still judging you. Maybe even more, right? There's always a judgment that's coming. And so a lot of us, we feel this insecurity. We can't have true Christian joy. Because we're always thinking about this, this, this judgment. We're always thinking about ourselves, right? And so what happens in this passage is, um, you know, for Paul, um, something happens for him that is very different than for most people. So what some people say is that they're like, okay, I know that there are other people judging me. But what the world tries to answer with that is to say, don't care about what they think, right? Don't care about what they think. You should care about what you think. You ever hear this? Yeah? It seems like good advice, doesn't it? Right? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, don't worry about their standard. Worry about your standard. Does this get any better? I got to tell you, for me, it doesn't. It's actually kind of (laughs) worse. Because the judges out there in the world, you can shut them out to some extent. But the judge that's in here, I can never shut up. I'm always with this judge. I found myself, um, you know, I'm in, in, in the kind of job where I don't really have people that are telling me what to do all the time. It's just subjective, right? It's like, okay, as a pastor, I should do certain things to grow the flock, to be faithful you know, to fulfill my duties as a pastor, right? Maybe you, some of you have been in a position like this, you know, where it's not just about the job description, right? They they give you a job and they're like, okay, this is what you need to do. You need to finish, uh, you know, these tasks, these five tasks throughout the day. And then you get the job evaluation and they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, you're doing everything that we asked you to, but we, we kind of want someone who goes above and beyond. Do you ever f- feel like that? That there's this intangible, there's always something more that you could be doing. You know, like, okay, you're, you're doing the task we asked you to, 
but you're not like the friendliest employee, or, or you're not networking, or you're not doing all of these things. And this is the way that I feel all the time in my job, because, you know, like, like I guess if I get the sermon done and, you know, the, the, the service happens, I've done my job, but there's always a feeling within me that I could be doing more. And I got to tell you recently, I mean, part of the reason why I'm preaching on this is because I'm like, I'm preaching a series on joy. And there are times when I wake up in the morning and I just feel terrible. I don't even know why. It's really hard for me to identify why. I think when it comes down to it, I feel some sort of judgment. Like this feeling like I could be and should be doing more. I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing a good enough job. I'm not busy enough. I'm not reaching out to enough people. I'm not praying for enough people. I'm not reading enough books. I'm not, you know, uh, uh, you know evangelizing to enough people. I, I'm, I'm not volunteering my time for the poor, whatever the case may be. There's like a million things that I could be doing for the kingdom of God. And if I'm not doing them all perfectly, there's always a feeling within me like, come on, man, what are you doing? There's a judge, right? Do you ever feel this way? I mean, it's not always like so well articulated. It's not always like someone coming up to you and being like, hey, what's wrong with you? You need to do more. It's just that feeling within you. You're not okay. You're not okay. Because you're still in the courtroom. But what Paul says is extraordinary. And this is why I keep coming back to this book again and again. Um, Something that, that Tim Keller points out is that look at what Paul says here. This is different than the way that we deal with things. Because the way we deal with things, it's either like, you know, high self-esteem, low self-esteem. Oh, you have too a high opinion of yourself. You need to humble yourself, right? You need to bring your standards down. Or, you know, your standards are too low. You're too high, uh, you're too, uh, you know, hard on yourself. And so you need to think better of yourself. You need to think that you're awesome right? But all of that is still in the courtroom. But for Paul, it is very different. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So basically what he's saying is that I don't have a guilty conscience. I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. That doesn't free me. That doesn't mean that there isn't something that I'm not doing right. Paul at one time calls himself, um, I am the chief of sinners. Like Apostle Paul, this great apostle who's written so much of the Bible, has done so much to advance the kingdom of God, he knows very, very well that he's a sinner. It's like, make no mistake about it, you know? But what he's talking about here is that I'm not judging myself. He's like, okay, I don't want you to judge me, Right? I don't care what you think, but even more extraordinarily, he says, I don't even judge myself. <laughs> right? So what Paul is saying is that he is completely outside of the court. Um, I, I want to show you what Tim Keller says in this book. Paul is saying something astounding. I don't care what you think, and I don't care what I think. He is bringing us into new territory that we know nothing about. He's, his ego is not puffed up. It is filled up. He is talking about humility. Although I hate using the word humility because this is nothing like our idea of humility. 
Paul is saying that he has reached a place where his ego draws no more attention to itself than any other part of his body. He has reached the place where he's not thinking about himself anymore. When he does something wrong or something good, he does not connect it to himself anymore. So what's happened is that Paul is not in the courtroom because the verdict has already been passed. This is what we believe as Christians. This is what we consider Christian humility. It's the idea that we are not being judged by the standards of the world anymore because there is a judge, the ultimate judge, who has passed a verdict. And he hasn't passed it on you in your individual uh, actions, in your performance. It is on the merits of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has passed the test. Jesus Christ has taken his sins upon himself. So if you've ever heard of the term justification, you know what that is? It's a not guilty verdict. When God looks at us, he sees his son Jesus. If you want to know the fancy theological term, it's called imputed righteousness. The the status of Jesus is given to us. Why? It's a gift. It's grace, right? So what Jesus did on the cross, that has bought our status to be seen just like Jesus. So friends, so often the problem with this world is that we're always trying to commend ourselves. We're always trying to prove something to ourselves or to other people to show that we're worthy and it's never enough, right? You ever see insecure celebrities or insecure athletes? There are. They reach the pinnacle of of their careers and, you know, everyone's like, oh, you're the greatest. And they're like, "Mm, I'm really not. It's never enough. You will never get to the place where you have enough, uh, where this verdict has been completely passed and you're like, yeah, I'm good enough now. It never will happen. But what Jesus has done for us essentially is to say, You know, I am giving my status to you. And now when God looks at us, he sees his son. How does God see his son? What is the status that is given to us? So this is at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. This is before Jesus has preached a single sermon that we know of, before he's performed a single miracle that we know of. And a voice from heaven calls out and says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. With God, the verdict comes before the performance, right? Jesus didn't need to have to hustle for his worth. He didn't need to have to prove anything, right? Nor do we. God has already proclaimed, because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, I love you. I'm proud of you. Well done. You're like, I haven't even done anything. It's just a gift. It's grace, right? And then the second uh, verse I want to share, Romans 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can it be said more clearly, right? There's no judgment, right? No one can judge you anymore. You're not even in the courtroom. And that's why Paul's like, I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think either. The only thing I care about is what God thinks. And this is what God thinks about me. God thinks of me as his beloved child. 
God thinks that, that I am no longer condemned. He's the only one who can truly condemn me because he knows everything about me and he has decided not to. And friends, for so many of us, you know, there, there may be some of you here who, you know, you're, 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 you've been to church for a long time. You've heard messages like this before. You've heard the gospel. And yet, every day, you find yourself in the courtroom. Every day, you're, you're trying to prove to yourself or to other people your worth. And friends, what, what I want to tell you is, you know, I know that there is this part in us, this ego, that is still sometimes wounded, and, and there's still something wrong with it. You know? But even the ego, we need to bring this before God, and we need to keep dunking it, dousing it, submerging it in the gospel until that ego dies. Amen? And, and this is what we talk about, becoming a new creation, being born again. Our old self dies. The ego dies, right? And we can be reborn as someone who cares more about what God says about us than what they say about us, than what the world says about us, than what even our own ego says about us. Amen? I want to ask the the praise team to come up. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to keep these scriptures on here and... I want to encourage you. You can even put these scriptures in your phone. This is something that I, I encourage people to do um, earlier in the summer. You know, make a list of scriptures that you can continue to, to just submerge yourself in, immerse yourself, meditate on. You know, it's one of the things that I realized, you know, I, 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 at times over the summer, I'm just being honest, guys. I'm a human being. Right? There's sometimes I get in a funk. And the first thing in the morning, what I usually do is I look at my phone, right? And I just start like, I have a bunch of websites I go to, different things. It's distracting me, right? I mean, those things aren't helping with the judgment, you know? I mean, oftentimes I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you on your phone? You know, you're on your phone too much. And Friends, what, what if you woke up in the morning and the first thing you saw before you did any performance, before you, you, you try to prove to anyone that you're worth something, you wake up in the morning and you look over at your phone and it says, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. And you just soak in that. I am God's beloved child. He's proud of me. He's pleased with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not in the courtroom anymore. I've been found not guilty. The angels are singing over you. You are God's beloved child. The Holy Spirit is speaking to your spirit. You are God's beloved child. You don't need to perform for the world. You don't need to prove anything. Just bask in that. Just enjoy that. Friends, can you imagine that I don't know, maybe you're in some kind of contest where there's a promotion and you're not the one who gets it. 
you know, your friend gets it at the office. Our old way, you know, the usual way is we're offended or we're hurt. Or we feel like, oh man, I wasn't good enough. But friends, if we're not in the courtroom at all, we can just be happy for our friend. We're like, yeah, that's awesome. You know, maybe I didn't get first place, but I'm so happy you did. We can enjoy things for what they are. We can be free from the ego always trying to find evidence that we're good enough. We already know on the merits of Christ, we are absolutely loved and accepted. What freedom, what freedom. You don't need to think about, man, I I need to prove my worth. I need to hustle. I, I, I need to fill my days with resume building things. Those things will come. You know, the the things that we need to do. I'm not telling you to drop out of school or to quit your job. I'm just saying, you can do those things for the glory of God. You can do those things because you want to do them. You can do those things because you enjoy them. You don't need to do them to prove anything anymore. What freedom. You are God's beloved child. He loves you. He's proud of you. You're not in the courtroom anymore. Amen.